0: Those kids weren't just graced by God with a gift. They've been graced by God with an anointing. And the anointing is able to break strongholds. Gifts impress; the anointing breaks strongholds in bondage in Jesus' name. And that's what you just experienced and saw right there. Give them a hand clap one more time. That was truly powerful. I know you just were seated, but would you stand one more time? I'm so glad to be home this morning, to be in the house of the Lord. And I pray you left... Your fear, anxiety at the door, and that you are open to what God has for you this morning. He's already been ministering to you, and he's going to continue to do so. Let's do our declaration together. As soon as they get it on the board, we'll do it together. Here we go. Lord, today, by faith, we declare that we are walking in the manifestation season. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and he has delivered us from all of our troubles and fears. We are no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. Isn't that what they just said a while ago? Amen. We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair. We will live under your anointing and see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives. We declare your everlasting word, on earth as it is in heaven. Give God praise. Amen. Yes. Let's pray. Father, our arms are open, our hearts are open, our minds, our souls are open to what you have for us this day. And we pray today that we partake of your bread. In Jesus' name, we pray you, and our pastor, as he brings the word, Lord, that it would just manifest in us, Lord. We believe we're in the manifestation season, and we pray you do powerful things, Lord, as we surrender and our humble ourselves before you. We just pray you manifest yourself in this place, in this. Community in Jesus' name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Let it be done and let your will, O Father, be done in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, help us. We give you praise. Amen. Amen.
1: Praise the Lord. You may be seated this morning. Uh, It never ceases to amaze me how that God orchestrates things, how he orchestrates events for our lives that we don't even know about. We come in here and sometimes we think, well, it's just a regular Sunday morning. It's just a regular church service. It's the thing that we do. And we fall down and we really don't even think about how that God has appointed us to be here today. And I was thinking about everything that was going on in the service, especially this last drama, the words that had been spoken and the different things. I thought, God, you are almighty God. There are different ways that churches run their business There are those that plan, they strategically sit down every Sunday and they get with their music directors and they get with their drama directors and they say, I want this, I want that, I want this, that, or the other. And they plan and they, from the sermon, from the Sunday school lesson to the sermon, from the music and to the dramas, everything that's done has got the same thread of meaning behind it or the same message. And they do that throughout the year. Now, there are times that we do do that on a Sunday morning, especially on Mother's Day or on special days. But as a whole, our church does not operate like that. I've never operated like that, and I'm not saying it's wrong to operate like that. Every bit, every, every leader is led differently by the Holy Spirit. But the, we have what we call spontaneity. It's when we trust I don't want to be a dictator. I don't want to go tell John, John, I want this song. I want this song. I want this song. I don't want to go to my Sunday school teacher and say I want this lesson. I don't want to go to my drama saying I want this drama, because you know what? That does not give them any kind of any kind of freedom to seek the Lord and to see what the Lord would have them to do. And I and it, and it shows that I really don't trust them. I trust our leadership to hear from God. Amen. Amen? And if you do all the work for them, they'll get lazy and they're just puppets and you just tell them what you want and they do it and everything hinges on one person. I just don't like running a church that way. I love to trust leadership. I love to trust and believe they're praying people and they seek the face of God. And there's nothing more powerful than when you've never told anybody about what you're preaching this week and then all of a sudden, everything that goes on in that service goes right along with what you're about to preach. And it is showing you that your leadership is in tune to what God has seen. I want to thank our leadership here today, all the way down even to the very dramas of our youth, that you're wonderful men and women of God, and you've heard from the Lord this day, and I praise you because I want to tell you, you have confirmed over and over and over of what the Lord is about to do in this service. Can you give your leadership a great big hand of appreciation? Amen. I'm going to give you one passage of scripture. I'm going to try to go a little bit slower than what I normally do. Everybody knows my mind thinks fast, and if I don't speak fast, I, I, I can't really quote the scripture they want and get in that rhythm that I like, but I'm going to try to get a little uncomfortable today and slow down because I, this is more of a teaching type lesson, and I know that I'm not a teacher. I know that I'm a preacher. I know that you, there are preachers, and there are teachers, and then there are preacher teachers, and then there's... Just preachers, and and I, I, I'm i more of the preaching side, but I'm gonna try to slow down a little bit and uh, because some of the things that I'm gonna be saying, you gotta you got to listen to it. You gotta pay attention to what the word is really saying and take it to heart of what God is wanting to reveal in our lives here today. Uh, just remain seated for the reading of the word. One passage of scripture, Acts 10 and 38, how that God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went around doing good and healing all those oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. We done already prayed over the service, but may the Lord's will be done here today. Now this passage of scripture is a very famous scripture to especially those of us that is Pentecostal. It is one of the most quoted scriptures by us Pentecostals, and it's describing the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. And when we quote this scripture, our attention is mainly placed upon how that Christ's life and ministry was anointed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. and Jesus's ministry, no doubt about it, was anointed by the Holy Ghost. How many knows that? Matter of fact, the Bible literally tells us that Jesus went around doing good and healing all that was oppressed of the devil for God was with him. And then it was Jesus himself said in Luke 4 and 18, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captive, and the recovery of the sight to the blind and to set the captives free and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus said that the Lord has anointed me to do these things. It was through the anointing that Jesus actually performed his miracles. Jesus done nothing outside of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon his life. Everything Jesus did on earth was through his yielding to the Holy Spirit as the Son of Man and not as the Son of God. Even though he was the son of God, he was 100% God, robed in human flesh, yet he never pulled from his divine nature to perform a miracle. Every miracle that he performed was him as a man in his flesh, yielding himself over to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit working through him to perform that miracle. And the reason he done that is to show you and I that that's how you and I have to do because we have no divine nature in which we can pull from, but you and I as a man and a woman of God can yield ourselves as Jesus yielded himself and the Holy Spirit can work through our lives into the performing of his will. Can you say amen? But it's only by the anointing of the Holy Spirit that yokes are loose, chains are broken, and bars are opened. Deliverance only comes by the anointing of the Holy Ghost. We know that. It was Zerubbabel that said, it's not by power nor by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. But Jesus relieved people from demonic oppression. I want you to notice that. The Bible says he healed all that was oppressed of the devil. Notice who was the oppressor. There is an oppression and there is an oppressor. The oppressor was the devil himself. He named him. And it is the devil that not only afflicts us, which is an open wound or an infirmity or a bruising or an illness or a disease or a sickness that he attacks the body with. He not only afflicts, but he oppresses. And the word oppress means this, to keep someone in subservience and hardship, especially by the unjust exercise of authority or the harsh treatment by an authority to cause someone to feel distressed Anxious and uncomfortable. How many of you have ever felt uncomfortable? How many of you have ever felt distressed? How many of you have ever, ever felt anxious? How many of you have ever feared anything? We've all felt those kinds of things, haven't we? Those things are called oppression. It is an oppression that has come upon you by the devil, by a spirit. It is the devil's job to oppress the people of God. Matter of fact, he's out to torment you. He's out to make your life miserable. He's out to upset you. He's Out to always keep you in an uproar. That's what the job of the enemy is to irritate to come along and and harass you and to do everything that he can to try to somehow cause you to be disturbed and uncomfortable. How many's ever felt the presence of the enemy attack you and try to bring on fears and anxieties and worries and problems? Raise your hand in this building. Yes, we have all felt that. It's called oppression. He oppresses people by the applying of pressure to bend one or to cause one to yield to the oppression authority of another, especially the authority of himself. That's what the enemy's trying to do. Oppression is where the enemy causes one to feel less than what he is and then calls him by his belief system to live beneath his ability and his privileges as a believer. Oppression controls one's mental faculties to reach their highest potential by altering their mood and diminishing their desire and power to push back due to that constant resisting spirit. There are times in my life that I find myself being fought more than other times. You don't know why, but there are times that it seems like the enemy gets on my back and I have to deal with something every single day. It's there just hounding me. It's there just tormenting me. It's there just following me around. It's trying to buffet me. And isn't that what the apostle Paul said, that Satan had even buffeted him, that there were times when the enemy just sat on his back and hounded him and frustrated him and, and, and hindered him and tempted him and tried him, that's what the enemy does to every single one of us as children of God. So if you're going through that, don't think it's strange. Don't think it's strange, as James said, as the fiery trials of your faith. That's the enemy's job. The devil's good at his job. If there's anything the devil's good at, it is his job to oppress God's people. But oppression controls one's mental faculties. It comes against his mind. Oppression is the battle of the mind. And there's another thing that I want you to understand, that oppression is a spirit. Say that with me. Oppression is a spirit. Look at somebody and say, oppression is a spirit. One of the problems in the body of Christ is that sometimes we over-spiritualize and everything's a spirit, but there's un- sometimes we under-spiritualize. And I want you to know, when you feel oppression, it is a spirit at work in your midst. It is a spirit that is there that you gotta recognize it as a spirit. Can I have an amen? Somebody say it's a spirit again. We all know that we are a body, soul, and spirit. That's what, our, that's what we are made up of as human beings. We have a body, we have a soul, and we have a spirit. And it's a lot easier to admit that one's uh, been afflicted physically or, or that one is sick physically or that he's been afflicted in his body than it is to say or to admit that he's oppressed in his soulless realm which ends up controlling or oppressing his spirit. It's a lot easier to me to say I got a leg ache than to say I'm fearful. Come on, somebody everybody know what I'm talking about? It's easy to say, hey guys, I got a backache, I got a headache, I got this. We don't have any problem with that. But then to go say I'm afraid, I'm depressed, or I'm full of anxiety, we don't go around saying that, do we? Why is that? Why is it harder to admit that there's problems in the soulish realm in our lives as well as there is in the physical realm. One can be sick physically and not be hindered spiritually at all, but when one is sick in his soulish realm, his spirit is always affected due to the soul being a part of the mental capacity uh, to think. So the soul is the center of man's emotions. It's the thing that affects our intellect. The intellect is the faculty of reasoning and the ability to understand objectively. It is the understanding of our mental process. So the soul is the center of man's emotions, the center of his thoughts, and it's the place that you and I call the heart. You might say that the heart then is the control center of man. What is it that controls you? It's your heart. It's your heart that controls you. It's where feelings and thoughts are processed that causes us to make decisions. So when we have a wounded emotion, it affects then the way we think, what's in return will affect the way that we believe, and then in return, it'll affect the way that we behave. Your behavior is determined by whatever you believe. Whatever you believe will eventually be lived out. You cannot muster something up. You cannot just speak it long enough. It is your belief system that determines your actions. Can I have an Amen. It is the place, this place of emotion, this place of the heart, this place of the intellect is the place where attitudes are formed, moods are developed, atmospheres are formed, and intentions are birthed. So we see that it literally becomes the place or the source of thought, actions, and words. And one of the problems that we have here a lot of times is that we're controlled more by our wounded emotions than what we think. A lot of times we don't understand that we as a body of Christ are controlled more by a spirit that has wounded our spirit. It is a spirit of oppression that has come in and it has been subservient over us and it's ruled over us and we're not totally yielded to the lordship of Christ in that area and it sets moods which determines atmospheres, which determines beliefs, which determines whether or not we're going to have victory or not. Can I have an amen? You're being quiet. And one of the biggest things that we battle, me and Randy's talked about this many times privately, why is it that some Sundays you can come in and it's dripping butter? It's hot. You can't mess up. And if anybody can't preach in that kind of an atmosphere, he's not called to preach. Can I have an amen? If someone can't sing in that kind of an atmosphere, he's not called to sing. Can I have an amen? Amen. It's just hot, it's dripping, there's liberty, there's freedom. People are bouncing off the wall, people are jolly. You know why? It's because it's showing you that the biggest part of the majority of that congregation that day has not yielded or has not come in with an oppressed spirit. They have come in free in their spirit to worship God. But then there are other times, I want to tell you, when you preach, it's like pulling a wagon with everybody in it and you don't have any help and you're going uphill. There are times that the atmospheres are locked. There are times that the atmosphere, it's dark. It's it, it, it its like you're trying to punch holes through to get God to move. And your mind can't even function right. And there's no rhythm. There's The anointing's hindered. Do you know why? It's because it's telling you that as a majority, there is people that have come in and allowed a spirit to begin to touch that wounded emotion. And through that wounded emotion, it set a mood. And that mood then determined the atmosphere of what is to take place. Amen. Haven't you ever walked into the house and all of a sudden, ooh, I feel that? And you see your wife and, whoa, (laughs) not a word said, but there's an atmosphere. Or vice versa. The woman can come in, the man can be the same. But what is it saying? There is a mood, there is an atmosphere that's determined by what that person's actually feeling and exhibiting at that moment in their life. What you and I have to understand is there should never come a time when the spirit has the ability to come against us and make us get a mood that would hinder the move of God from happening because we set an atmosphere that is not not conducive to what God wants or what God can operate in. When Jesus went to heal the little damsel woman from the dead, he had to change the atmosphere of the house by casting out all the fear and all the unbelief. And let me tell you, God sometimes can't move and it's not because he don't want to. It's because we come in here with a bunch of wounded emotions and we're allowing emotions to dictate to us how we're gonna enter into the presence of God. So we set a mood. It may be tiredness. It may be frailness. It may be weakness. It may be anger. It may be just I'm not in the mood for it. It don't matter. We are to crucify the wounded emotion and get ourselves into the presence of God to where God can move. If you believe that, stand to your feet and praise the Lord, whether you feel like it or not. We're the one that sets the atmosphere. We're the one that sets the mood. I heard an old preacher say, there's two times to praise the Lord. One when you feel like it and one when you don't. Can I have an amen? Luke 6 and 45 says, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. And then he said something very important. For out of the abundance of the heart, the centers of emotion out of his intellect, the mouth's gonna speak. Whatever's on the inside is gonna come out on the outside. And honestly, There is both good and evil in us. Getting quiet. When we allow the devil to have authority over us and cause us to get in moods that's not conducive to holy living or conducive to an atmosphere to where God can move, then out of the evil part of that heart, what happens? It's manifested. And vice versa. When we crucify and allow the Lord to move, then out of the abundance of a good heart, what happens? The good is manifested. But nevertheless, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth's going to speak. This is why the Bible says in Proverbs 4:23, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it is the issues of life. Did you know that the issues of life flow from the heart? They flow from the what? The soulless realm, the emotional realm, the issues of life are what? In the intellect, it's by what you become to think. The heart is the control center, and whatever's in the heart will be what will control your life. Whatever's in the heart will manifest in the way that one is actually going to live and conduct and behave himself. This is why it's hard to say I'm oppressed over I'm afflicted. To be afflicted means I'm suffering pain due to physical malady, which affects this physical body. But to be oppressed means to suffer pain due to emotional maladies, which affects the spiritual man due to the wounds of a wounded emotion. It speaks of man's mental health, and it reveals his capacity to think or to act or to behave wisely and properly. So why does it mean to say I have a wounded emotion? To say I am oppressed is admitting I don't have it all together. Yes. To say I'm oppressed means I have a mental issue in an area. Yes. We're always talking about mental health, but we never apply it to ourselves. Yes. Folks, it's not only good enough for us to be fit and trim physically, we've got to be fit and trim, trim mentally. Yes. The body of Christ has got to come to a place where we're mentally sound. Somebody help me preach. You'll not have the works of God being manifested where there's not soundness of mind. To say I'm oppressed means I have a mental issue. To say I'm oppressed means there is power, a power influencing my decisions and my judgments in certain areas of my life. Now, we all know that we are to take full reign of our lives, but we all know that we're not all perfect yet. That we're still working on We're a work in progress, We're still being sanctified. We're still being set apart. We're still yielding. We're still learning. We're still submitting. We're still dying out. Is there any perfect person here yet? If you are, would you please get up and leave? (laughs) Because you're lying to yourself. And you're going to pick on the rest of us. But to have a wounded emotion means that there is an area in my life where I am subservient to the influence of another. I'm allowing an influence to overtake me. That's what it's saying. It means that I do not have complete control over my thoughts, my actions, and behavior in certain areas because I'm serving the end or the will of another through a wounded emotion. It, the oppression prevents one from having the freedom to live as we desire due to being governed by the cruelty of oppression. It is where we begin to live by feelings and emotion more than we do by faith. Come on now. Some of you live by emotions. Some of you allow your emotions to dictate to you. And you know what it's called? Oppression. It's what it is. It is a spirit manipulating you. And you don't even realize it's a spirit. But you live out of emotion. Highs, lows, pits, peaks, up, down, in, outs. Grouchy one minute and jumping off the rooftop the next. Haven't you ever been around people and you finally, you check the mood of what they're in before you talk to them? You never know what kind of mood they're gonna be in? It's because sometimes they're floating and doing well, but other times they're in that one little area that they're weak in and the enemy's oppressed them. And through that oppression, they're grouchy, they're mean-spirited, and they'll attack you. They'll bite your head off. Can I have an Amen. The wounded emotions are such things as fear, anxiety, depression, anger, jealousy, guilt, condemnation, low self esteem. We could go on and on and on and on and naming them. All of these things and many things like them are wounded emotions and they are things of the soulless realm. And if we don't deal with them, we'll become suppressed. And it will relegate our thoughts. Our thought process, which will determine our actions. If you do not get your wounded emotion under control, your wounded emotion will rule you. It will control you. And you know what? It'll tell off on you. A person can only hide their wounded emotion so long, but eventually, that wounded emotion is gonna become subservient and you're gonna be you're gonna be controlled by a power that's more than you, and you're gonna show displays of weakness of that emotion through anger, wrath, malice, or whatever it is, and out of the abundance of the heart, you're gonna speak. It'll reveal who you are. Can I have an amen? For example, take the wounded emotion, and we talked about both of them, and I just happen to use these two as the example. Look at anxiety and depression. You know what anxiety is? Anxiety is the future of superimposed upon the present. It worries about the future. Have you ever heard people always warn about what tomorrow's gonna bring? Fearful. Anxiety cannot believe in the present because it's already predicted and predetermined its future by its faulty emotion. It has already determined the outcome before it ever even happened. There's some people that can't live for tomorrow because they're afraid of tomorrow because they've already got doom and gloom pictured of what it's gonna be like. However, depression is what? the past superimposed upon the present. It can't believe in the present because of something that happened in their past and they can't get over it and they think whatever happened in the past is going to determine who they are in their future. And this is why there's more wounds of emotions in the body of Christ than there is afflictions of the flesh. Because we don't want to see them, we want to hide them, we want to put them away. But when it comes to the things of the flesh, we're openly to say I've got a headache, I've got cancer, I've got arthritis. We don't care about that. But to go around and say, hey, Pray for me, I'm jealous. Hey, pray for me, I'm bitter. Hey, would you pray for me? I just hate that guy. Come on now. Why is it so easy to come up and say, hey guys, I got the ugly thing called cancer, but you don't want to come up and say, hey, I got the ugly thing called anxiety. Every single one of us has tucked away and hidden these wounded emotions and we want to act like they don't exist and we sit there and we allow them to grow and to, and to bring damage and it gets worse and worse and it begins to repeat itself more often and more often and more often. It used to only happen three to five times a year. Now it's three to five, to, three to five times every six months. Now it's one or two or three times every month. Now it's becoming a weekly thing because it's taken over. Come on, And then, if you're not careful, not only will it be that one wounded area, but it'll rub off to the other areas and other things will be added and you'll become a miserable bound person. The afflictions of flesh does not deal with our mind issues. It deals with our physical issues. We need to quit hiding and suppressing and denying and covering up our wounded emotions and become free and admit we've got a problem. I've got a problem in this area. There's nothing wrong to be embarrassed to say, hey guys, there's an area in my life I don't have it all together as of yet. There's nothing wrong with saying there's a part of my mental capacity that I do not have full control over and the enemy has an edge on me. Would you pray for me in this area? Come on. There's nothing wrong to say, Lord, heal me of my mental state, my mental state, and make me whole. But we want to hide it. Don't want to deal with it because to deal with it is saying we have mental problems. Well, what's the difference between mental health and physical health? They're the same. I will admit, Kent Miller has some mental issues going on. We all do. Come on. Mental health is just as important as your physical health. As a matter of fact, if you're not... Whole mentally, it'll affect the way you feel and eventually will come against the body because there's a lot of things in the middle, middle, medical field that tells you that anxiety and depression all come, is linked to sicknesses of the body. Amen? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and what? A sound mind. The body of Christ is to have soundness Amen. Today the Lord has laid up on my heart that there are those that are in this service that need to be healed of their emotions. God's saying, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And he's saying, let us have the mind of Christ. You and I need to put on Christ every single day. We're to put off our old man and the deeds every day. I like what Joyce Meyer said. They said, when did you get saved? And she said, Every day. It's an everyday decision to whether to put on Christ or put off Christ. It's an everyday decision to let the old man rule or Christ to rule. Can I have an amen? Every day i got to make that decision. And when the enemy comes up and attempts me or tries me or provokes me, I've got to make up my mind. Am I going to act out of emotion or am I going to act out of the will of God? Come on. What is my behavior going to be like? But I can tell you this. I can't muster it up at that time. If I'm not real, whatever's inside of me is going to come out. You really want to know what's inside of me? Catch me off guard and pop me upside the head. (laughs) Amen? Is he going to be a man of God and turn the other cheek or is he going to clobber me? Whatever's on the inside will come out in that time of testing. Christians does not have to live in fear or doubt or oppression. Christians does not have to live depressed. We all have to live in anxiety. A Christian doesn't have to have mood swings and bad attitudes and impulsive behavior. A Christian doesn't have to live with jealousy, anger, wrath and condemnation. Come on, a Christian does not have to be bitter. A Christian does not have to have unforgiveness. A Christian doesn't have to live a subservient life to his emotions and be unstable and be like a roller coaster. He does not have to have an uncontrolled temper. What does Galatians 5 and 22 says? But the fruit of the spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. What does that mean? Suffer long. Gentleness, goodness, mercy, faith, patience, temperance, self-control. We do not have to live a life like a roller coaster emotionally. Ups, downs, ins, out, pitch, always wondering what kind of moods that guy's gonna be in. Better check the mood before I go in there. Amen. We do not have to fall apart at every little thing that comes against us. We can have stability in Christ. If you believe that, give the Lord praise in that. You can be stable. We don't have to be governed by our fears, tormented by our doubts, controlled by our wounded emotions. We do not have to be erratic in our behavior. We do not have to to be unpredictable, have mood swings that destroys our testimony and cause people to shun us. I hear all the time people say, I don't have any friends. Well, you better be checking out why. Amen? I'm gonna be honest. I'm not gonna hang around somebody that's got a bunch of emotional problems. It'll get you down. It'll destroy you. I'll help them. I'll minister to them. I love them, but they're not going to be my mainstay. We don't have to, we do have the right as a Christian to possess a pure heart where the issues of life flow. You and I can live free, folks. Come on, somebody help me preach. Matthew 5 and 8 says, blessed are the pure in heart. They're the ones that see God. They're the ones that understand God. They're the ones that sets an atmosphere, a temple for the inhabitation of God. They're the ones that have the spirit of God operating in their life. A Christian cannot fully operate in faith when oppressed by and he's wounded in his emotions. There is vision in faith. Did you know that? Did you know faith holds on to purpose and did you know that faith has a reality to it? They always talk about faith and reality. Well, let me tell you, faith has a reality to it. People of faith are visionaries. And let me tell you, they see what is unseen as just as tangible and real as the things that are seen. Yes, amen. I don't see a lot of things, but I know they're real. They're reality to me because I see them through the eye of faith. Hebrews 11 and one says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence is of things not seen. Am I going slow enough? It's killing me. <laughs> that old movie I like, it's killing me, Smalls. This is killing me. Faith can see the end result. You know, faith proclaims victory before the battle even starts. I don't have to be wounded in my emotion because there's an army coming against me. Though the enemy comes in like a flood, yet God to raise up a standard. Amen. Though a thousand fall, a thousand fall by my right side and ten thousand by my left side, yet it shall not come nigh me. I'm more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ who died. Why am I going to get all bent out of shape? Why am I going to allow the multitude? Why am I going to allow the fear, the storm, the wind, the oppression, or whatever it is to come against me and cause me to die, and through a wounded emotion cause me to not have victory? I have victory because I have faith, and my faith is rooted in Christ. Therefore, I am sound in my belief system, and due to my faith being sound, I have victory through Jesus Christ my Lord. Amen. Faith is a visionary channel that gives birth to the things unseen. Faith, our lives in church is only as strong as our vision in our belief system. You know, we don't have a we don't have a life problem, we have a belief problem, because whatever you believe is what you live. Amen. Our faith is the thing that governs our lives, and wounded emotions affects that faith. Wounded emotions causes instability to our faith, which blurs our vision and distorts our belief. And cannot let us see true reality in the spirit. Therefore, it hinders our victory and it causes us to become sporadic in our faith and thinking, which in return diminishes the way that we live and the way that we operate. Emotional instability is the number one illness among Christians above the physical maladies of life. And the reason that we don't want to admit that we're oppressed because the word oppressed is a very ugly word. And if we're not careful, we'll think people will think that we're possessed. I want to tell you, you're not possessed by a demon because you have a little problem in an area that you've not fully got control of. It's called oppression. And you'll never be delivered or free from that oppression until we see and men confess that we are governed and that we are oppressed by a spirit and we need to take control over it and take the authority that Christ has given us. Until we deal with that wounded emotion, we will try to hide and conceal it, tuck it away, and we'll never be free, never. And even though we try to hide and conceal it, it will reveal itself Jesus had full control over his emotions. And his life was steadfast, unwavering, and consistent all the time. He was the same no matter what kind of circumstances you found him in. Whether he was in the temple, whether he was in the storm, whether he's being attacked, whether he's being beaten, whether he's on the cross, didn't matter where you found him and what circumstance you found him, Jesus was the same. Matter of fact, he was the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we want to equate that always to miracles, don't we? Well, what he'd done in the past, he'll do in the future. You know what that scripture is really saying? That no matter where you sing Jesus, in church, out of church, in good times or bad times, he was the same. His life was consistent. His life, he had persistence. He was determined to do the will of God. He said, My meat is to do the will of the Father who sent me and to finish his work. I am so focused on what Jesus never got caught up in emotions. He says, I don't like it here. They're picking on me. I'm going to run to Rome. Jesus never even visited Rome. There's no record of that. Jesus was so determined to do the will of God that he come down in the middle of a hot seat and endured the suffering and the pain even all the way to the cross, but yet he stayed steadfast. Never changed, never wavered. Come on. He had full control over his mental capacity to think and to behave himself. That word, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yes, what what he done yesterday, he'll do today. But I want to tell you, it's telling us more that Jesus had full control of who he was and he had full control of his mind and he was steadfast and no matter where you've seen him or in what circumstances you've seen him, he had full control. Can I have an amen? His life was not erratic, changing with every little wind of opposition. Every time a tide rolled in, he didn't get on the bandwagon, he didn't chase dreams, come on, he wasn't radical in his thinking, he wasn't jumping over here, jumping over here, jumping over there, doing this, doing that, whatever, felt, felt at the moment the right thing to do in the bed seat of nothing but torment and affliction. He was steadfast. And yet, you know what happens to us? We get a little bit tormented. We're ready to bell ship. When we think of this verse of our text, when we think of the verse of the text, we, we, we think of the anointing, the power and the miracles and the supernatural that Christ done. I want to break this down a little bit. Acts 10 and 38, how that God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went around doing good and healing all the oppressed of the devil. That's as slow as I can quote it. Sorry. What we fail to see is that Jesus' main ministry was not signs, miracles, or open displays of the supernatural. That ain't what that scripture's saying. Oh yeah, it is. He went around healing all the oppressed of the devil for God was with him. You know what his main ministry was? He went around doing good. That was his main ministry. Some of the healing of the wounded emotions among the people was simply the good that Jesus done among them. Hello? Did you know that it's just as important to uplift a wounded life with an encouraging word than it is to resurrect a life from the dead? Proverbs 16 and 24 says, gracious words are like a honeycomb. Say honeycomb. Sweetness to the soul. Say soul the soulless realm, the mental realm, and its health to the body. Did you not see what that said? That it's just as important to speak a word of kindness to a wounded spirit than it is to lay hands on someone and see them healed of a a wounded body. Amen? But we get this thrill about, oh, he's healed in the name of Jesus, but yet, God says, it's just as powerful for me to say, honey, everything's going to be okay. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And lift them up. Give them a courage. Anymore, and it heals their soulish realm. It's like a honeycomb sweetness to the soul. And why did the Bible say? That it literally would It would literally bring not only health and healing to the soul, but it would even bring health and healing to the body because most of the illnesses of the body is caused by the wounded emotion. Let's go on. Did you know it's just as important to speak a kind word to a wounded spirit than it is laid to lay the hands of someone and heal their wounded body? Job 4 and 4 says, Your words have upheld him who was stumbling, and you have made firm his feeble knees. What was it that made him? What kept the man? What kept Job from stumbling? What strengthened his feeble knees? It wasn't a supernatural miracle of God, it was a man coming by and giving him a word an act of kindness, an act of generosity, someone that showed attention to it, someone that just happened to come and do a good deed in Job's life actually was what gave him the victory. Healing doesn't always have to come in supernatural ways. Healing doesn't always manifest openly, but there is healings of the inward heart that cannot be seen or detected with the natural eye. There's more miracles that happen undetected than they are that are detected by the body of Christ. And God spoke to me and he said, don't ever say, where are signs of miracles? He said, they're happening every day. You just don't see them. And when you say that, you're casting doubt in the power of God to move for today. Right now, there's going to be all kinds of miracles that's going to happen this Sunday morning. And no one will ever know it except the person that received it. Because they'll remain mainly undetained because they're dealing with the mental and capacity of a person. And God's about to change some people's thinking here today. Can I have an amen? I prophesy that in Jesus' name. Proclaim that. You know it's just as important to edify a wounded person that it is to deliver him from a physical malady. Proverbs twelve and twenty-five says, "Anxiety in a man's what heart, soulless realm? There it is. Weighs him down. It oppresses him. That's what means to be oppressed, to be weighed down. Have you ever felt weight on you? Just I'm so oppressed. That ain't what we say. We use words like, I'm so tired. Why don't we just admit it? I'm oppressed. I'm down. I got a mood problem here. I got an atmosphere problem here. I am being influenced by a power that's really getting the upper edge on me. I think I'll just stop right there. Y'all are being quiet. The body of Christ needs to come clean. I got a problem in some areas. I got to learn to deal with, and I got to recognize them as a spirit in my life that's working against me. We cannot see in faith clearly the expected end due to a blurred vision that is called by by a wounded emotion. And you know what happens? The problem with Pentecostals, we always have to have a sign, a word, a revelation, a confirmation, and we have to have supernatural occurrences, and we have to have some kind of result. That's where we're at. You know why we're doing that? Because we have wounded emotions. Jesus already told us no sign shall be given unto you except that of the prophet Jonah. Only a wicked generation seeketh after a sign to say I got to have all these things in order to be able to feel good about my ministry and know who I am and validate myself. You know what you're saying? You're saying you got, a wound, you got a wounds of emotions that you've not dealt with. woo Now we're getting in some deep water. We do not understand that when Jesus went around doing good and healing all the oppressed of the devil for God was with him, that the big portion of those healings were never seen or experienced or known by the general public because they were hidden issues of the heart that was healed by the goodness that Jesus brought and not by the open, open, outward miracles that he actually performed. A lot of things went on that we never knew about Jesus that went on in the life of people. Those with wounded emotions always have to have that miracle, that sign, that confirmation to validate who they are. The validation they need is due to them not knowing or believing in who they are due to their wounded emotion. Their own ministry isn't about them fulfilling the will of God. It's all about them fulfilling themselves, validating themselves, making themselves feel important. And how they feel and what they want and what they need They need that validation and clarity to make themselves feel like that they're godly. So they're always up and down and in and out, changing with the tide of events that is happening due to the wounded emotion. This is emotional instability, and it's due to a wounded wounded soul. Did you know that the Apostle Paul, I'm gonna blow your minds right here, I'm about to close. Did you know that the Apostle Paul only had 12 recorded ministries are 12 recorded uh, miracles in his ministry over a span of 31 years. Only 12 miracles that man performed that's recorded in 31 years. Did you know that the Apostle Peter who leads the apostles in miracles, all of them, actually had 40 miracles that was recorded in the span of 34 years of ministry? The highest recorded Apostle was Peter, 40 miracles in 34 years. That's a little over one a year. Can you imagine that? And we just picture them going around all the time. Woo, woo, woo. No, no, no. Most time they spent themselves in prisons, shipwrecked, being serpent bit, being beaten and hiding, running. Come on. We don't ever see that side of their lives. In 34 years of ministry, I can honestly say that Kit Miller's probably seen around, I tried to count them around, five miracles in 34 years that happened right before my eyes with me laying hands on somebody. I can tell you three of them and two of them, they're, they're borderline miracles. They're right there as a miracle. I'd say they are. So there's about five of them. In 34 years of ministry, I've only seen five where I laid hands and immediately something, boom, a miracle took place. Only five in 34 years. Now I've seen thousands of healings. I've seen thousands of things where we prayed things through. I've seen where God moved things. I've seen where God moved mountains. I've seen where God done miraculous things over a span of time. I've seen where God worked things out. I've seen where God was working on our behalf through a process. I've seen all kinds of that. But to just say I walked up and laid hands on something, immediately something happened about five times in 34 years. I got a good friend, been in the inner city for years and years and years working, and among horrible odds, faced horrible things. And he asked me that question How many miracles have you seen in your ministry? And I said, Well, I can count. And I started counting. I said, Four, five of them. And he said, I said, How many have you seen? I thought it'd be way up there because of where he served, he said, I've not ever seen one in 30 some years of me. I've never seen a bona fide miracle. He's church of God, one of the greatest preachers, preaches camp meetings, everything else. He said, I've never seen by the works of my hands laying on someone and seen a bona fide miracle. But yeah, he said, I've seen people come from the gutter and become a great preacher. I've seen over a period of time, God work on people. I've seen miracles in all other ways, but for an instantaneous miracle, I've never seen one. The biggest percentage of time, the lives of the apostles were not performing miracles, but they were just going around doing good. Just like Jesus, more were touched and changed and empowered and discipled by their good works than they were from their miracles. Matter of fact, when Jesus quit doing the miracles, the multitudes forsook him and fled. It didn't stable anybody by doing a miracle. They were seeking after signs. When he quit feeding the multitude, when the loaves and fishes were gone, 90% of his church left him. Hello? Hello? When are we going to see what we're doing is essential? What you're doing is essential. Baby, setting that child is essential. Taking care of your neighbor is essential. Going into prayer meetings is essential. Can I have an amen? When are you going to see that everyday, common, ordinary gestures of goodness is anointed and produces more results for the kingdom of God than miracles, signs, and wonders? God is a good God. As a matter of fact, you know what? The Bible says in Romans 5, 5, it's the goodness of God that brings us to repentance. It ain't the miracles. As a matter of fact, you remember when the rich man went to hell and he cried out, Lord, send Moses back to my brothers and they'll believe. He said, even if I'd send Moses back from the dead, they wouldn't believe. It ain't a miracle that's going to establish the church and bring revival. It's when people learn that they are essential, that they are anointed, that they're called of God, that they're whole, that they're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And what we have is what God has given us to bring about the expected end and the results of victory for the body of Christ. Revival comes when we buy into good works for the glory of Jesus Christ. Everyday living, being sound in mind and not sporadic, up and down and inconsistent. That will speak volume to people. Ephesians 2 and 10 is our true call. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before, before ordained that we should walk in them. We are ordained to walk in good works. Hebrews 10 and 24, and let us consider one another And provoke to love and good works. How many of us go around telling everybody, get busy, get to work? That's what the Bible tells us to do. James 2, 17 and 18. Even so faith. If it has not works, it's dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith, I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works. I'll show you my faith by my works. Titus 2 and 7. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. In doctrine... and and showing uncorruptness, gravity, and sincerity. In other words, Paul told Titus, it's just as important to have good works as it is to be sound in doctrine. Matthew 5 and 16, what did Jesus say? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. When are we gonna understand that what we do is just as essential and important than performing a miracle or doing some kind of a supernatural thing for God? Visiting the sick, teaching the class, Providing a meal, giving a sweet embrace, offering a hand, helping a friend, giving a smile, opening a door, speaking a kind word, affirming, edifying a person, building someone up, making a phone call. Jesus said, even if you give a cup of cold water in my name, you're not going to lose your reward. As a matter of fact, the woman with the little mite that gave all that she had, he said, wherever the gospel is preached, this is a story that here is a memorial for her. I could go on to a holiday in wood. There's an old man in our community, and I preached on him many times, 90-some years old, very superstitious man, caught up in a superstitious realm, lived in an old shack, no running water, no electricity. The floors were gone out of the old house. He lived with a dog, and uh, it was nothing but complete filth. And all he had was uh, that little three-room home, four-room home. Three of the rooms were cl- uh, shut off, and he'd throw his garbage and the other rooms that was piled to the ceilings because he had no way of getting rid of it. And him and his dog lived in the living room and they shut it off with plastic and had an old wood stove. And that's where he lived with coal oil lamps. And he was a very superstitious man. I could tell you things he'd done that was spooky. Walking to town and going to a church and tapping around it with his cane before he had passed it and do all these different kinds of things. I got interested in the old man after I got saved, went down to his house up in the middle of the winter. It was cold, cold, cold. and I would try to get in his yard. To, I'd say, let me help you haul in some wood. No, get out of my yard. He'd sit there and he'd guard his property. He wouldn't let me even step in. Next day, I'd go down. Hi, Chester, how you doing? He'd just, who are you? And I'd tell him, and and he'd say, what do you want? I said, I just want to come and help you haul in some wood. No, get out of here. And I'd do that over and over and over and over Done it for a whole year, and before the year was up, I was able to carry the wood, finally, to the front of the door and place it on the outside where he could get to it easier and stack it up. And one, The year passed. The next year, I started the process again. And I started again, and I had to start from the road again. Then I ended up at the door again, and it got real, real cold that second year. At the end of February, it was about minus some two or three degrees. It was so cold in the old Ohio- house. And he finally said, could you put that by the stove? And I said, yes. And I carried it in and immediately he got me out of there. The next day, I carried more and more in. Morning before long, I carried in the gospel of Jesus Christ and was able to sit at a table with him and see the man gloriously get saved by the power of Jesus Christ. Just good works. Just good works. When we don't see the big picture that what we do is essential and important, we abort the mission of the church. The daily trenches of life is where the anointing is at. Therefore, the anointing can only be captured when one is faithful, persistent, consistent, and steadfast. When they're teaching that class and they don't quit. When they're driving that bus and they don't quit. When they're going to that prayer meeting and they're faithful to it all of the time, they're steadfast in what they're doing. Zechariah said, don't despise the day of small things. I wish I had time to finish this message. And I'm sure that when Jesus fed the 5,000 with that little boy's lunch, everybody didn't understand that was a miracle. Had no idea that it was. Did you know that? 5,000 people sitting out there and they divide them up in groups of hundreds and fifties and the disciples gets a basket and starts giving them food. They're just seeing food come out of a basket. You know where the food came from? Two loaves of fish two small fishes and five loaves of bread that came from a boy who gave good works they were fed by good works more than a miracle that was performed by Jesus you and I got to understand that we got some wounded emotions my steps are ordained of God every day so every day of my life is essential to God's playbook in my life not just sometimes I am effective I am anointed I'm I am making changes. I'm just as anointed mowing my neighbor's grass than I am here casting a demon out of somebody. I'm just as anointed going to the hospital to visit somebody than I am raising somebody from the dead. I'm just as anointed giving somebody a kind word and loving on somebody and being patient with them and probably more than that, than I am doing some kind of a supernatural miracle by the gifts of the Spirit. Today, God wants to heal people of wounded emotions. God wants you to understand that you're the anointed of God in Christ Jesus always, every day and not just sometime or a part of time but every time. When you rise up in the morning you got to believe that your steps are ordained of God. Did you hear me? When you get up in the morning you're anointed. Say it, I'm anointed. Whether you're calling down fire or whether you're weeping with those that weep, rejoicing with those that rejoicing, or whether you're help painting somebody's house. You're just as anointed doing the good works as you are performing those miracles. The scripture I'm gonna leave with you, I'm gonna have you to stand. The Bible tells us in the book of Psalms that goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. You know what that means? Everywhere I go, I'm leaving a path of goodness and I'm leaving the testimony of mercy. And that goodness and that mercy is going to be what's effective in my life. I'm going to be no more by what I've done pastoring than any of the miracles or the gifts of the Spirit that's worked in my life. You know what they're going to remember? Man, when I needed him, he was there. Come on. You know what they're going to remember? He gave to me when I didn't have no money. He hugged me when I needed that embrace. Come on. Quit trying to be better than the Apostle Paul who only had 12 recorded miracles in his old ministry. Get plugged in and say, I'm not gonna let this stuff control me. I am who I am. And every day that I walk up, something big does not have to be happening. Because if I think that I, I, everything, that that nothing's ever big enough, or good enough, or powerful enough, I have a wounded emotion. Because my steps according to God are ordained of God. Am I ordained of God or am I not? He knows my rising up. He knows my lying down. Does He not know it or does He not know? It? And we want to grapple about. I'm not effective enough. I'm not good enough. I don't have the results I'd like to have. I don't see the big things happening in my life I don't have the validation that I'd like to say I don't have the confirmation just get busy about good works get in the trenches where the real ministry's at some of you are hurting here today I want to help you why don't you just admit I got an ocean I need help I got a spirit that's buffeting me in an area of my life Paul had that. He said, there's an area in my life when I try to do good, that evil's present. And he said, I find myself doing the things I ought not to do. He said, there's an area in my life where that I'm not perfected yet. He said, Satan's buffeted me. Satan's hindered me. I need to be healed of my wounded emotion. You gotta recognize it. And you're not big enough to tackle this thing on your own. You've tried. You've wrestled it. You have fought it. The only thing that has happened is you got weaker and that power has gotten more powerful. It can only be broke by the anointing. The anointing is what breaks the yoke off your back. And I ask you today, if you've got a wounded emotion of any kind, be a man and woman of God in a minute. There's nothing to be embarrassed by and just start walking down to this altar and say, I wanna be free. I wanna be free. I I wanna be free. I want to be free of the wounds of my life. I want to be free to where I can be the same yesterday, today, and forever like my Lord, no matter what's coming against me. I need my altar workers to come along and help pray these people through some things. Be honest. Begin to say, Lord, there is a spirit hounding me, mocking me, and I'm tired of it. This area of my life, I yield to you this day. I declare that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It ain't the miracles that validate me, it's my relationship with you that validates me. I commit to you this day my full life. I pledge my love and my loyalty to you all over and make you lordship of this area. Confess that area. Talk to him about it. Lay it out on the line. Speak to him about it. Tell him you're bitter, tell him you're unforgiving, tell him I'm, I'm depressed, tell him whatever it is. And if you don't even know what it is, I don't even know where it's at, God, help me from this day forward to find it out. Come on, I need some more altar workers, council members, leaders, friends, family. These people need love. They don't need criticism, they don't need a confirmation, they don't need a word, they don't need a revelation. They need uplifting. They need love here today. Lord minister, there's a healing taking place. There's a healing taking place right here, right now in Jesus' name. Be healed of your emotion today. Your wounds of your emotions. In Jesus' name.